Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today holds a master's degree in business administration from St. Xavier University with a concentration in project management and a bachelor's degree in management and information technology from Aurora University. He has served as an adjunct professor at City Colleges of Chicago. He is also a member of the National Cannabis Industry Association, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee, and he also co-chairs the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois, Minority Access Community. He is an entrepreneur, social justice advocate, focused on facilitating opportunity in a climate for unprecedented, historically marginalized communities. He is the CEO of Winter Haze Cannabis. Winston McCauley, thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Be Blunt, sir. Thank you, Montel, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, looking forward to speaking with you and talking about this important work. Absolutely. Let's let's go back a little bit, my friend, and let's talk about you know a little bit more of your background. That was your I gave you your your college bona fides, but let's let's uh, where'd you grow up? Absolutely. So um, I was born in Pennsylvania, West Philadelphia. Um, my father worked for GE. My mother was a professor, and uh, my father got a job transfer to Central Illinois. And so I grew up in Central Illinois um, and ended up going to uh, graduating from Chicago or in school in the Chicago area. So um, really growing up in Illinois, uh, getting my education and corporate experience in the Chicago area, and now bringing that back to the area that I grew up in and, um, you know, building community from here. So now were you always interested in cannabis? Were you just a, you know, dabbler on your own? I mean, what, what, what uh, turned you on to the cannabis community? And when did Absolutely. you get started? Yeah, so um, I got started. I was introduced to cannabis at the age of 15 um, through just casual use. Um, but at the same time, I had already been working at McDonald's for a year. So I started to understand uh, how to make money, how the business world kind of works. And the individuals I was hanging out with at the time, they were much older than me. So they were pushing a older mindset onto me. It was a little bit more than just smoking cannabis. It was conversation around why is this not legal and what would it take for it to become legal. So I was going through a period where I was being introduced to cannabis at the same time I was being introduced to the workforce. And all along, I'm still in the school, in the classroom. So um, it was just an interesting dynamic as those three, you know, work streams were, were kind of developing within. And I mean, so you're going to college where you, where you really put yourself back in that college mindset. Were you thinking back then that, hmm, you know, I may take my interest in cannabis and turn this into a business or were you thinking about an entirely different field? I was thinking about a completely different field. Um, I grew up in central Illinois playing soccer, uh, and, um, that took a lot of time. It took a lot of time away from social activities, always traveling. And so by the time I got to a point of going to college, um, I was looking to gain that freedom back and I had a passion for music. Um, I played the piano before I played the drums. So I actually went to Hampton University, uh, as a music engineering technology major and was on their drum line, uh, for my freshman year. Uh, I never let go of cannabis. I never let go of uh, my entrepreneurial mindset and that started to get me in trouble. So I actually got kicked out of Hampton after my freshman year. 
Um, had to go to Winston-Salem State in North Carolina for a semester just to get my GPA up. And that's when I made the transfer back to Illinois in the Chicago area. And that's how I ended up at Aurora University. You weren't kicked out for cannabis. I was kicked. They knew about my involvement with cannabis, but I was kicked out for fighting and um, other behavioral related incidents. Were you dabbling in a little entrepreneurial cannabis business? Absolutely. 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 So, so you, you got your, you, you cut your, your teeth on or, you know, uh, uh, laid your track record down by doing some, well, let's say black market sales. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I was taking risks that I should have never taken. Um, especially someone who's going to college. So um, it was a little bit more than just, you know, being in Virginia and dabbling in cannabis. Um, I was, you know, moving things from Chicago to Virginia. And so, you know, those risks, um, luckily I didn't get caught up in a way that would uh, prevent me from pursuing other opportunities, but I got in enough trouble to understand that uh, I needed to shift my focus at least to take school a little more serious. Gotcha. And I mean, uh, they uh, clearly you, 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 you have a professional family, so they must have known a little bit about this, right? Absolutely. Um, if I go back to high school, I mean, my mother used to occasionally take me to get drug tested. Um, there was a period in time where she tried to enroll me in um you know, a facility where, you know, a residential facility for, you know, drug abuse or just for cannabis uh, use, even though I was using, it was just cannabis. Um, you know, we were, we grew up being told that cannabis is a gateway drug and that it can lead to other things. So I think the fear was, you know, everyone knows he's using cannabis. Let's get ahead of it before it gets to something else was the belief. So, um, Everyone in my circle, my family has always known that cannabis has been something close to me. And there was a strong effort for a period in time to, uh, you know, essentially remove cannabis from my life. But I guess now everybody looks back at those times and recognizes that, you know, uh, when you've seen what, what years were you talking about here? Around the time? Uh, 99 to 2003 is when I was in high school. Um, mm-hmm. And in 2003 to 2007 uh, is when I was in college. And back then, that's when most of you know, I remember I started my advocacy back in 2000, really 2001. And, you know, I think conversations were starting to become more robust about legalization, especially from a medical standpoint. As a matter of fact, back in 2006, 7, 8, you know, there was state after state after state coming on. About nine states had already approved medical cannabis. So what was the attitude of those people who were the naysayers on your behalf? Um. That didn't matter to them, uh, what was going on in other states or what was transpiring around the country. I think for them it was, um, you know, I have the ability to pursue a career in the legal environment if I wanted to. I have the ability to do something in business. Um, I, I had a very sound understanding of information technology, so it was more you have all these opportunities and you can put yourself in a position where you can excel at a rate that many people can't. So you shouldn't even be considering or associating with cannabis. Um, whereas, you know, who I am as a person, I've always been someone that kind of shakes things up. Um, so I always challenge the status quo. Um, you know, getting into corporate America, it was always you can't have hair. 
Um, you have to have a low haircut. Um, well, I challenged that and that's when I started growing my hair. Um, so it's just, just, I always believe that there are certain things that are being taken into consideration that don't truly define someone's ability to perform. And so, um, I've always taken that with me. And so even though my parents, family, friends, associates were trying to push me in a different direction, um, I would hear the things they would say and I would take it as a challenge as you're saying this, but I think I can pull it off. And so I fought them tooth and nail in it. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, a lot of my family hasn't found out anything uh, that I've accomplished in the cannabis industry until the past few months, um, simply because I didn't want that pushback. Well, okay, so you, you go ahead and you go to school, you keep it quiet. Were you still dabbling a little bit in some sales and entrepreneurship then in college? Until 2017, yes. Until 2017. And then you graduated, um, and then you decided to jump in with both feet. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, well, I graduated, uh, I finished at Aurora University in 2007, but I was already, uh, interning at, at Sidley Austin in corporate America in 2006. So Sidley Austin is a law firm that, uh, President Barack Obama and, and Michelle Obama met at. So I was fortunate enough to get into this prestigious law firm as an intern. And I knew that I needed to stay in school an extra semester because the school I went to was so small, they didn't offer the same courses in the fall and the spring. And I was a double minor in computer science and sales. So I made a proposal to Sidley Austin to get an internship for the summer of 2007 uh, into, while, while I finished my degree and then get the part-time position. And they came back and granted me all of that and told me they would bring me on full-time which was key because this is during the subprime mortgage crisis. So they kept their word and them keeping their word allowed me to purchase my first property at the age of 23. So all those things happening started to expose me to, um, started to expose me to a world that, uh, I hadn't been exposed to yet, but I could truly benefit from. So this is my first real estate purchase. Um, now going through these times where across just across the, the country, you're seeing people's salaries froze for a year or two. No bonuses are taking place, but they put me in a position to start to set the foundation up for my life. Um, that's what pushed me to going back to school. And that's when I went to St. Xavier to get the MBA in project management. I finished the program in a year and a half in Sidley, Austin. The management had mentored me so well, and they had invested so much time and energy into me, they actually pushed me out of the organization because they felt like it would cripple me from achieving my true potential. Wow. So I went from working in IT at Sidley Austin as a quality assurance analyst, but I now have this formal education around project management. Um, they helped me understand the gap that existed, which was I had never done any business analysis. So instead of them pushing me out the door and making me go, you know, pursue whatever it thought it was or telling me to go become a project manager because that's the degree I had. It was pushing me towards becoming a business analyst because business analytics sits between quality assurance and project management and really making sure there were no gaps in my learning and experience. And so 
fast forward, I've spent time at three corporate law firms and I'm now working at my second consulting company. So all of this is happening and um, I'm seeing what's happening in Illinois and around the country with cannabis. And I actually said to myself, I want to go get certified to work in a dispensary. And so I went and got the dispensary agent certification back in August 2019. And I just remember after getting that certification, sitting back and not being as excited as I was when I signed up for the class or the course, because I realized I just put myself in a position to repeat all of the challenges that I had experienced in corporate America. Um, you know, there were I was mentored and uh, grew in a way in corporate America where there were certain goals and things that I believed I could achieve based off my education, based off of the individuals that were mentoring me, based off the exposure and experiences I was gaining. And I started to realize those things weren't happening. And I started to realize why. And so this was a moment when I said, I have a chance to get into the cannabis industry, but I'm about to repeat the same process of being an employee instead of an employer. And so that is when I shifted focus and said, okay, I know where I come from. I have a good understanding of what the community needs. I have good intentions. I have this network around me. Let's see if we can put all this together and actually do something worthwhile instead of just talk about it. And that's when we went both feet in. And that was what, about 2016, 2017? That was 2019. 19. That was 2019 um, when we decided to go all in and pursue cannabis licenses in Illinois. But now in those, in that, you got your license to be able to work in a cannabis facility. Did you do some work in some cannabis places? No, no, I did not. I, uh, got the license to work in a facility or the, uh, dis- I completed dispensary agent training to work in a dispensary. Um, but when I understood what work I would be doing in a dispensary and where I wanted to be in the industry, um, I didn't think it was a viable path, especially based off the experience I was bringing to the table. So um, never worked in the dispensary, just shifted my focus to understanding and filling the gaps on the legislation side and uh, what it would take to become an owner. And so started with phone call to uh, my best friend's father, who was a police sergeant, asked him if I pursued this, if he would support me. It was an immediate yes. Second phone call was to my real estate agent. And from there, started putting the team together by just accessing my network. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. And then you put a team together that applied for several licenses. What kind of licenses did you apply for? Yes. So um, through the research and as putting the team together, uh, 
actually applied for an incubator. Um, we actually were rejected, told we couldn't get into the incubator. Um, but when the rejection came through, it also said that we should continue with applying for the state, you know, applying with the state. And I found that odd because if we weren't good enough to get into the incubator with a cultivator, how could we convince the state? So I just tried to read between the lines and I just felt like, you know, we were being pushed in a way that we needed to consider. I was working with a consultant at the time and came to the realization that even though I had put a team together based off of my network, we did not have the legal experience that was necessary to show the state how we would remain in compliance if granted a license. We also did not have a capital that we felt was significant to really show that we would be serious. So we had to understand what we had and how it would apply and then understand our shortcomings. Um, there was a period of time when I contacted a consultant and told them that I would actually wait another year or two. But they were so intrigued with the team we had put together and they were working with another team that um, they felt the same way about and they had certain shortcomings that we were able to fill. They actually told us that they would make an introduction but would not bro- broker the uh, the relationship. And that's how I met my business partner. Um, essentially, I felt like I met an individual that um, was very comparable to who I am as an individual. And I felt like I met someone that I had never met in my life before in terms of being just as smart, as ambitious, um, willing, you know, just as risk adverse. Um, there was just a lot of similarities. So at this point, the application had came out application for the licenses we were applying for craft grow infuser and transporter came out in January, 2020. And we did not finalize our partnership until the last week of January. So we actually cut ourselves cut three, four weeks out of our application time just to make sure that this was a business marriage. We were both comfortable with. I mean, we met in person first time ever, We had everything from our credit reports, lease agreements, college transcripts, arrest records. Um, We opened up to one another in a way that I have never opened up to anyone. Um, In certain aspects, I feel like he knows me better than some of my family members and vice versa. And so, again, did your partner have experience in the business before you? Yes. Yes. And so basically, you know, our our business a partnership allowed us to uh, increase involvement uh, at the national level through the National Cannabis Industry Association. We're both involved in the National Cannabis Industry Association. Um, he's done a lot in the food safety and auditing space. So um, gaining a direct line of food scientists, food chemists, um, understanding, uh, you know, the audit work he's done in both the food space as well as in the cannabis space. So really um, us forming a partnership, you know, creates a unique situation because there are existing operators that have leaned on us for experience um, or to help them, you know, standardize some of their procedures, for example. And so, Putting a team together where we have that deep of insight into what it takes to be successful was key. And this is a business marriage that allows all that to happen. 
So you applied for multiple licenses. How many did you get? Yes, we applied for three licenses, uh, Craft Grow, Infuser, and Transporter. Uh, in the middle of July, we were notified that we met the requirements to receive a transporter license and the infuser license. Um, we're also hopeful that uh, in the coming months, whether that's six months from now, nine months from now, uh, that we get our craft grow license. Um, and so we're moving forward with our business. Uh, we took a unique approach. This is bigger than cannabis for us. Uh, we wanted to create a company where cannabis and community meet. So um, we are really focused on boosting an area that has been considered a food desert, um, uh, disproportionately impacted area. And we've done so by acquiring um, enough real estate to apply mixed use themes around cannabis that can um, help improve the area uh, and those who reside in that community. Well, it's it's interesting because Illinois, is, uh, you, you have different legislative processes than other states. So mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit about, you know, that situation. I mean, um, do you, you don't have a storefront. You have a laboratory. When you say pro- infuser, is that a processing laboratory? Yes. You have to buy, so you have to buy your constituent parts from a grower. Correct. And then Correct. you can then infuse and make, infuse edible products. Can you make, Correct. We make edibles, topicals, um, Beverages, um, we're actually sitting down right now and really defining our product list or our prospective product list. Um, so we're going through that right now. But yes, so in Illinois, the Craft Grow license gives you the ability to grow, extract, and infuse. And then you have a license, an infuser license that gives you the ability to infuse only. And then you have a transporter license that gives you the ability to transport cannabis between the growers and infusers in the state and the licensed dispensaries throughout the state. So the transporter license is not a home delivery license. Um, it is more of B2B a license. Exactly. So um, people ask all the time, well, are the other craft growers or infusers your competitor? And the answer is yes. Uh, but at the same time, it's understanding it's understanding what you have to offer, what they have to offer, and if you can do a dance in a way that you can be strategic partners, knowing that you're going to compete in certain aspects. So, you know, as someone that has an infuser license right now and a transporter license, as you stated, we cannot think about going into business without making a strategic partnership with a cultivator or craft grower in the state. At the same time, we know that there are craft growers in the state or dispensary owners in the state that don't have a transporter license. So right there is an opportunity to understand, okay, I need something from you and you might need something from me. How do we make this work uh, logistically? And so navigating that, um, that is how you get the importance of the trade associations uh, like the Cannabis Business Association. So you, you can, there, I mean, theoretically, you can infuse, make your own brand of product, and make a deal with a dispensary that you'll help them get their raw product if they put your product on their shelves. Exactly. Or I could say to them. They will have their own white label products on their shelves. Correct. Um, Or I could say to a craft grower that uh, has a craft grow license but doesn't have a transporter license, 
I can help transport for you and get your products to the various dispensaries or parts of the state that you are targeting. To the processors, to the dispensaries. To the processors or to the, to the dispensaries. Got it. Yep. Got it. And are you up and, are you up and running now or you're still forming? You haven't opened doors yet. You're already making sales. Yeah, no, we're not up and running at the moment. So we just got notified on July 15th, um, of our licenses. So, uh, maybe just over two weeks ago. However, we had already secured our real estate. So we have over, over 250,000 square feet of real estate that we've already secured. Uh, we have been working with our architect and general contractor. It seems like daily. So we're just, you know, we have to set up the back office. So there's a lot of things that now that we know we have the licenses that we're just finalizing. Um, but we're starting our build out, uh, later this month. Um, I, it, I, oh, it just bodes as a question. I mean, is your partner African American also? Yes. So, I mean, how difficult was that for you in the, the state of Illinois or was that not that difficult? I mean, you know, there's a lot of states have talked about, you know, equity in the, you know, licensing. Is there equity in licensing in Illinois? Uh, it's a great question. So I think, I think one of the, the things that a lot of individuals who aren't as close to the industry question is how is social equity being defined? And so I think if you talk to someone who is not as involved in the legal industry or the legalization of this industry, um, they would probably come up with a different, different definition of social equity than how it's being defined uh, across the country in various states. Uh, to answer your question is, uh, is social equity taking form in the industry? Yes. Um, is there room for improvement? There is great room for improvement. Um, and I think the challenges around that are number one, making sure that people understand the process ahead of time. You know, I talked to a lot of people when I was getting ready to apply saying, Hey, we're about to do this. And they would say something like, yeah, we're going to apply for those licenses when they come out. It doesn't work like that. You know, once the licenses are out, they're out. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you, you can't go back. And so it's helping people understand the process from beginning to end in enough time so that they can have a fair shot of getting in the industry. Um, it is creating a definition for social equity that is truly going to benefit those that were harmed by the war on drugs. Um, our company, if we look at, you know, the archetypes of our company or the individuals that we felt like we, our beliefs most followed, we walked away with two individuals. One of them was Spike Lee and the other one was Tyler Perry. And when we look at the Spike Lee aspect of things, uh, you know, Spike Lee has always talked about being prepared for opportunities. And so that's kind of what I'm speaking about in terms of, you know, making sure that we get information out to prospective applicants in enough time for them to understand the process from beginning to end, because the only reason we're here and we're uh, enduring this level of success is because we were prepared for the opportunity. And then you look at Tyler Perry and talks about how since he owns everything, his returns are just higher. 
And so it's, you know, going back to what I said earlier, it's that mindset of understanding the difference between being an employer and an employee. And if you take that same mindset and then you look at the way social equity is being defined in some states, um, et cetera, that's where you can see a little bit of friction because black and brown people have been dabbling in the cannabis space for years. It is something that a lot of us know very well. Um, to then have this industry become legal or go through the legalization process, and yet the same people who have been maneuvering through this space for years are now being offered positions that are only one to four dollars above minimum wage that you know to me that is not true social equity because that is not uh putting those individuals in the position where they can create generational wealth they're just taking on a job in an industry that they're probably more passionate about and probably more knowledgeable about but is it really going to help change their lives and uh, the lives of those that they care most about if they're just above minimum wage and they're working in an industry where still, let's say 23, 25% still don't have any health benefits or where you have about 40% of people who don't even have any retirement benefits. These are the things that make me pause when people say, is there social equity in the industry? Um, you see more people taking on these jobs, but they're not being presented opportunities that can really move mountains for them or the ones that they, they care about. Hmm. So now, um, how many, how many employees do you have right now? And you're, you have a brand, right? We have a brand. Um, we have a brand. Uh, I mean, we've already gone through the process of, you know, doing our brand folio. We have our logo, everything's, you know, already patent trademarks, all that good stuff. Um, at full capacity, we anticipate employing between 40 to 45 employees. Um, those numbers will be skewed a little bit until we get our craft row license since we'll just be operating an infuser and transporter. But again, we're working on some unique strategic partnerships. And again, because we have secured the area that we're operating in, um, you know, we're, we're trying to create opportunities outside of cannabis. Um, so for example, we're talking about uh, bringing a grocery store and pharmacy to uh, this food desert and disproportionately impacted area, um, bringing some housing options and things of those sorts. That's what you're doing through this process or through the program that you have. It's a mentor program for small businesses. Small businesses. Yes. Talk a little bit about that format. Yeah. So um, really it kind of just goes back to, again, the, the, the Tyler Perry comment about, you know, owning everything, um, and creating those higher returns so that you're in a position to really help and make the impact or the change in the impact that you see fit. So, you know, again, I might have gotten in trouble, but I still came out of, you know, a college and university. I still spent time in corporate America. I still um, interact and network with people that have the same interests um, and experience and have experienced the same things as me, whether it was not being able to move up in corporate America, whether it was um, having certain credentials and still having to deal with a certain pay level. And so really over the years, you know, as you start to go through these things, when you go into corporate America, the room starts to change. 
And as that room changes, when you do see someone that looks like you or you do see someone that you can relate to, you tend to form a, a relationship just because of that level of synergy that you two share. And so over the years, I mean, at Aurora University, I was a peer advisor. Uh, so there was a period of time that I mentored about 30 freshman students. I was also a uh, resident hall assistant. So I had a floor of uh, students that I was responsible for, um, participated in student government, uh, talked about Sidley Austin, uh, spent time at Toastmasters, um, understanding public speaking. So going through all these different venues, I like to read, um, putting myself around individuals that like to read, you start to hear about other ideas and the desires of others and the ways that other people believe they can change the world or positively impact the world. And so as those things happen and you start to progress in life and you see others progressing in life, again, a forming, a, a common just relationship starts to take place. And so I sit back and I look at, man, this cannabis opportunity came to us. And even though there was a year delay, we understood the advantages we had of being outside of Chicago and how that positioned us financially, how that positioned us from ability to work with government, less red tape. And so as we saw these opportunities mature, we understood that we had an opportunity much bigger than cannabis. So again, we were just tapping our network and reaching out to people we've already had relationships with, we already communicated with. We just shifted the conversation to be more serious because now we have something to offer. Now we've you know, positioned ourselves in a way where we can unite and create strategic partnerships. So an example would be um, there's a young lady in my network that uh, has been doing a lot in Illinois education space. Uh, and she would like to have a almost like a black literature uh, cafe. And so these are some of the ideas and things that we have helped her with to get started. Um, my business partner, uh, has a nonprofit where he helps small businesses, um, improve their food safety and quality practices. Um, going into, that's something that he was already doing because he comes out of the food safety industry. But now we're talking about we have cannabis licenses Well, edibles are still a form of food. So there is still a level of food safety that needs to be taken into consideration. And who better to assist in those avenues than someone who's coming from the highly regulated food industry? Um, my younger brother, he's an anesthesiologist. So looking at him and some of the individuals that he went to Duke University with, and their respect and passion for cannabis. There are opportunities there for, you know, research opportunities. Um, so, and then again, um, I bought my first piece of real estate at a young age. So over the years, when I went into consulting, I formed a real estate company. At the time, I was in the mindset of just trying to protect myself. Let me not rent this out to someone, they pull a slip and fall, and they come for my personal stuff. So I created a company to protect myself 
and but not knowing that that company would be a catalyst for me to get into the real estate space and pursue other opportunities so um uh just yesterday for example we uh secured a a lounge or bar um that could be an opportunity to again secure an area and grow businesses for our community so um does does uh does Illinois allow for like on-site consumption of cannabis in like a bar setting or um that's a great question so a couple of weeks ago there was a first consumption lounge I believe that opened in southern Illinois but I I believe people have to bring their own cannabis and then I don't understand I'm not certain on the insurance aspects and how they're getting around that because I would believe that there's a lot of risk around people coming to your facility using cannabis and then leaving at a certain time but I know the first one was open in southern Illinois about three four weeks ago is that part of the, I, I don't know a lot about the Illinois law, so um, you know, you'd have to help me with this because you know, in California and several other places around the country, New York is going to have fully operational consumption facilities where you can go in and consume cannabis on location as part of the license. Is that part of what's going on in Illinois too? You know, there's no consumption licenses in Illinois right now, and that's why I'm a little intrigued on um, exactly what they're doing at this location in Southern Illinois, like how they pulled it off. But um, the area that we chose to operate out of um, for our infuser, our transporter, and craft grow in the future, that area has already been zoned for consumption lounges. So I know it's something that uh, is coming in Illinois. When um, officially, uh, I'm not for certain. Um, there are no consumption licenses that someone can apply for. So I'm just kind of, I don't know if it was just through work with the local municipality or, or what that is, but um, I, I see that coming in the future. Yes. Uh, I think delivery will come in the future in Illinois as well. Um, but I there see is that not happening. Is, is there currently delivery at all in Illinois? There's not no delivery. Not. No delivery in Illinois right now at all. I see it in the future, but if we're being honest, I think, uh, the crime situation with the car theft and a lot of that stuff is going to have to get, you know, a little bit better under control before uh, legislators are really comfortable pushing that ball. Sure thing. I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about the industry because, you know, that this industry is under, is in a state of flux, I think. Um, yep. You know, first off, because every single state has its own, every single municipality has its own rules. Regulations. Every state has its own rules, regulations. You know, you can't cross state lines. You can mm-hmm. try to do non-THC hemp products and not hemp yep. products. Are you, are you doing those also? Yes, we do plan on. So while we wait for our craft grow license, we do plan on uh, cultivating hemp in the in the interim. Does that have to go through a separate license? Uh, it does have to go through a separate license, but it's not a competitive application process. Uh, it's as of last year, it was literally a $1,500 fee to the state of Illinois. Um, you let them know the location, have them come out and certify and approve the location. And that's how you can get your hemp cultivation license. And then there's another, uh, $1,500 fee in application if you want to do the processing. And you would not be able to, you couldn't do the processing in the same facility that you're using for the THC. I, pr- I could, but I, I, I probably wouldn't. Well, you'd have um, to separate them in some way inside. Yeah. The and then, you know, just taking the size of the facility into consideration is, is 
where I'm hesitant there. Um, just because we'll have a transporter and infuser and other operations. So I just want to make sure I'm respectful of space. Sure. And, and also I'm sure that there's some sort of overseeing or over uh, supervising kind of yep. situation, right? Yep. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, have to work with the state police on security and reporting and make sure the appropriate departments have access to your systems, et cetera. So, I mean, we're playing a compliance game, so definitely don't want to do anything uh, being too ambitious that's going to increase risk. So as of today, though, you have no products in the marketplace. That is correct. And when do you think you're going to be ready to launch your particular product up? Well, we're actually um, uh, trying to see if we can uh, get a product or two uh, on the market before the end of the year. So we're having those conversations right now. Um, part of those conversations is understanding um, how soon we can have certain aspects of our facility ready. Uh, so we're targeting to have something, uh, if possible, out this year just for, if nothing else, individuals to sample. But uh, we're looking at a 12 to 16-month build-out if we're just looking at building from beginning to end. Now, what we're also working, though, is understanding if we how to phase out that 12 to 16 month build out because we can phase it out in a way where maybe we can start creating products sooner rather than later. Have you, uh, are you considering doing any white labeling? I'm asking that as a personal because I, I have products that are out and available around the world that are going to be available around the world and have already had hemp products in the marketplace, CBD products in the marketplace, also THC infused products in the marketplace. But in a single state, again, it's individual, so... You know, uh, if I was going to sell a product in Illinois, I have to find a processor and someone who has a cultivation license to be able to get my raw product in to be able to, are you white labeling? Yes, that is, um, that is something that we've, uh, already been in conversations with groups about, um, uh, the building that we selected, one of the reasons we selected that building is because it would put us in a position where we could essentially um, lease out a floor of our building to, let's say, an entity that's not in the state of Illinois that wants to get into the market um, and allow them to essentially come in under our license. And, you know, we just manage that for them. So those are those are opportunities that um you're looking we're at. open to, and uh, we already have uh, one group that um, hopefully this week we'll get that contract solidified. Uh, so, yeah, we do, and, and that's part of the reason we secure so much real estate is for opportunities like that and to make, you know, people as comfortable as possible. That's interesting. Well, you know, let's, let's offline have an offline conversation about that. I mean, above the pike, I think. That's one of the things that I'm, I'm looking to make sure that I can get my brand out across the country and I'm going to need facilities like yours to do so. Absolutely. 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 We can definitely talk about that. Sure thing. So what do you think? I mean, let, let, let's look at this as an industry. I have been, you know, I'm on a campaign or I'd say a tirade more so to convince this industry that, you know, as we broaden our messages from a B2B standpoint, mm-hmm. we've really missed the boat as an industry mm-hmm. in broadening our messages from a B2C standpoint, meaning business to the consumer. Mm-hmm. 
all great having as big a business as you want, but if the consumer is not convinced to buy your product, waste of time. Yep. What are you doing in that educational space to help the consumers better understand that cannabis is a viable option for them and their family? Yeah, can, can, uh, education is, is huge for us. Again, you know, going back to opportunities and being prepared, you know, we feel like we're being, building a kingdom and the key to that kingdom is education. So, um, this is something that was very important to both my business partner and I when we were building our team because understanding the space that we're going in, we understand that people like to hold on to information and we didn't want to create a team that, you know, we were going to have our head cultivator and he didn't want to share any information with our cultivation manager or et cetera. We wanted to remove all of that. So we went out to find not only the most experienced individuals, um, that we believe we related the best to, but also individuals who were passionate about education because we understood the many ways that the industry is essentially dropping the ball. So um, right now uh, in Illinois, through the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois um, and just the networking opportunities there, uh, we're working with a group of individuals to expand the uh, cultivation curriculum to community colleges, two-year and four-year colleges across the state. Um, this is essentially starting to create your pipeline of future growers um, and uh, dispensary agents, um, transporters, et cetera. So we're doing that work, uh, working directly with key individuals in the state. Um, both my business partner and I are, are involved in the National Cannabis Industry Association. So uh, through the DEI committee, uh, policy council manufacturing committee. Um, we've been involved there, uh, trying to really get things in place that are going to educate those who have applied and are waiting for licenses. Those who are new license holders or those who are interested in applying in the future. And then again, we have winter haze cannabis, but we also created the winter haze project, which is our nonprofit, which is solely focused on helping individuals navigate the Illinois cannabis industry. So whether that is individuals wanting to learn more about cannabis in Illinois, um, or whether that is individuals who are looking to get involved with cannabis in Illinois, um, this is something that we want to kind of lead the charge with uh, on a smaller scale through our company. So listen, I mean, I applaud you because again, what you're talking about though is literally more B2B education, more mm-hmm. business to business education, growing and turning this business into a virus, mm-hmm. but without the consumer, mm-hmm. I think it's like we're all wasting our time. We're spending our wills. True. You know, True. If, we, if we don't get out and start educating grandma down the street, yep. educating yep. Right over here and, and Phil over yep. there and Sarah yep. over there. What are you doing to help create an atmosphere where you're reaching out? You know, if you look at the pharmaceutical industry, mm-hmm. why, why is it that every time you turn on your television, you see 1,000 ads? Every 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 show is is filled with at least five 30-second commercials and a couple mm-hmm. one-minute commercials on some product that's mm-hmm. a brand new pharmaceutical drug. Yep. Not so that the dispenser, no, that the, the pharmacist over here can tell the pharmacist over there about a drug. 
It's so that the drug manufacturer can tell the consumer about a drug that they're hoping that the consumer walks into the doctor's office and says, have you heard about Umpty Frats? And the doctor goes, no, I haven't. Well, I saw this commercial. Well, did you really? Then the doctor picks up the phone, calls the pharmacies, the pharmacy, or calls the pharmaceutical company and says, hey, I'd like to be a rep because I've got 20 people walking to my door asking for your drug. And then they go over to talk to him. They put some of the drugs on his on his counter. When people come in for a regular doctor's visit, they get that drug. Then that's what starts them moving the moving the ball. You know, remember mm-hmm. they hired uh you know way back Bob Dole didn't yeah. didn't sell Viagra to pharmacists. He sold Viagra to civilians so yeah. that they understood that this is something that was viable. And then the industry caught up with them after the fact. So what do you think in terms of what are you guys doing in terms of educating the consumer to make sure they understand that this is a viable option for them and the family? Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I think the first hurdle with uh, that type of marketing to the consumer is we haven't reached a point of federal legalization. So uh, there's a level of creativity that has to be implemented. Some of the organizations that are up and running, um, they're doing things like, having flyers put in everyone's mailbox uh, in a particular apartment building. Um, and, you know, they're just working with the building management or whoever to get an understanding of who every, all the residents are in a particular building and working with their branding and marketing company to create whatever message it is. And then just having those flyers or whatever put directly in the mailboxes. Uh, we're not operational yet, so we're not there yet. So we're still going through that development phase. But I think through social media and then again, our involvement with these various organizations, whether it's the NCIA or the CBAI, um, these are networking events that are being created and thought of that are then becoming more community focused. So we're in conversations right now about uh, hosting possible events in our area for spring of next year where the community, the surrounding community that we're operating in can come and interact and network with these companies, their liaisons, et cetera, firsthand because there are certain things we can't do. We can't go out and buy uh, a TV ad right now. Um, we're on the processing and manufacturing side. Uh, State law will not allow us to, you know, we're not going to be slapping stuff up on the outside of our building. So people really won't know where we are operating out of and what exactly it is we're doing. So we have to get more boots on the ground with it. And I think we're going to do that through continuing to expand our role on the networking events, but then also through social media and just reaching out to individuals directly um, who are already tapped into the networks we're a part of, um, you know, from an education perspective. Um, I would like to start putting myself and others that I've taught with in the past in a position where maybe we can start working with these schools to actually be the professors to teach firsthand to these students because this is something that they're interested in. Um, it's just something people don't know how to navigate. Uh, my mother, again, someone who did not want me to do anything with cannabis, my conversations with her have led her to a point where she's willing to support me in my efforts 100%. Um, simply because she understands you're watching an industry being created as baby boomers and others are moving out of business. And this is an industry that can really support the future of this country. Um, a lot of your future leaders are going to come from the cannabis industry because we're 
getting involved in a way that other industries do not allow us to because it's so immature, because it's so new. And so, again, you I know, think the big thing. You know, a lot of people think that the baby boomers, you got to remember, the baby boomers are the ones who have passed the legislation to make it legal. The baby exactly. boomers are the ones who remember that when they were in high school and in junior high school, they were smoking, and now they're still successful in life later on. Exactly. If you look in places like Israel and other places around the world, you know, cannabis is considered a geriatric drug. You yep. know, when you completely throw out an entire population, one of the biggest populations or demographics in America, if you don't focus on selling to those people who are taking, you know, an ordinance amount of medication that they wouldn't yep. have to take if they were taking cannabis instead. So exactly. Was, as part of what we really have to try to see if we can bridge a gap with and make people understand that, you know, this is a multi-generational drug, not just a generational drug for this generation right now, who's mm-hmm. using less than yep. their parents. I agree. So not market to their parents. I and agree. We're going to have to start getting to that. So, and, I mean, and, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I agree 100%. Um, you know, we, uh, when we did our brand folio, we, we, you know, winter haze and we talk about haze and it's like, you know, we, we actually had to give a nod to like 1960 Santa, Santa Clara, California. I mean, sure. um, and, and so then on top of that, you look at just the history, the world's becoming more health conscious. So, you know, people are smoking less, but the edibles, those infusers, they're providing a way for people to get the medicine, the cannabis that they need in a more healthy fashion. So, you know, I agree with you 100%. And when you look at the world becoming more health conscious and then you look at the older generation, um, if you can provide them with an opportunity to ingest the medicine in a more healthy way um, or way that's less harsh on their bodies, I agree with you 100%. Um, there, there, there's a huge, huge need there that needs to be provided. So what do you think some of the bigger, we're outside of time, but what's the biggest challenge that you face right now in this industry? I think the biggest challenge is the biggest challenge is going to be securing financing. Um, you know, this is a, this is a big ticket industry. Um, this is an industry that it costs a lot of money to get the right assistance. And then because of how lucrative the industry is, um, it takes a lot to try to retain the ownership of your country, of your company. So, I think finance and then with it being federally legal, I mean, there are many challenges that you may not even consider until you experience them. Um, we sent money to pay our consultant who was not based in Illinois. There was no product exchanged. Um, we were just paying for services that led to bank accounts being closed because it was looked at as cannabis related funds crossing or it was looked at as a form of, you know, interstate trafficking because we paid for cannabis services and that money crossed state lines. So, you know, you, you have challenges like that in the industry um, and it all comes back to financing. So financing, uh, securing financing will always be uh, one of the most challenging items. We tried to get around that by creating an opportunity for people to do, invest indirectly in cannabis um, but still get significant benefits by doing that. And so what we did is we targeted property in an opportunity zone. 
and we created opportunity zone funds. So essentially we created a legal tax shelter for investors and their capital gains. So we're now using our investors and their capital gains to purchase our properties and allowing them to essentially like playing an HGTV game. We have this property and there's nothing really in it. You guys help us buy it, but we're going to put what 20 plus million dollar build out on here. So your investment will go up. So we're taking that mindset to allow us to retain as much of our company as possible, but still allow investors to get the benefits of indirectly being part of cannabis. And then at the same time, having deferred, uh, having to, having to, uh, not to pay taxes on that capital gain for 20 till 2026, but then also giving us access to that money for 10 years and putting them in a position where when they pull those funds out in 10 years, they don't have to pay taxes on the money that they net. So we've kind of set it up in a way where, okay, maybe this will be a little bit more attractive to investors, whether it is an individual investor or a company, because there's benefits here that, you know, are significant. Um, but that still doesn't remove the fact that, uh, there are other license holders, uh, that are going to struggle for capital and that even though we've set this up, um, we still need to keep options on the table to secure capital. Um, there's only a handful of banks that are, uh, open or public about supporting cannabis businesses. And even though, uh, we were notified back on July 15th that we had received licenses. Um, at that time, the state's loan program had not been finalized. So, um, you know, just kind of allowing time for the stars to align um, based off the things that are in, in the works now is important. But uh, getting to a point where, you know, license holders can go out and, you know, through the value of their license, through the team they put together, through the opportunity that's present, you know, secure capital through a bank or some financial institution without going through all the the hurdles. Is that what you hope happens in this industry in the next year, maybe the next five years? Uh, hope, yes. Do I think that's what's going to happen? No. Um, I don't see, me personally, I don't see federal legalization taking place uh, for a few more years. Um, part of that is just, me understanding the political landscape um, and understanding the, the many moving parts. Um, and I'm becoming more familiar with that through my involvement in the NCIA and the CBAI. Um, you know, this is my first year with both of those organizations and the committee. And so I learned a lot. Um, and as a project manager, you know, you're always focused on scope, budget and schedule. And I think over this past year, I've had a very good understanding of the timing and the scheduling of some of these events and the conversations that need to happen and have happened. So, yes, I, I would like to see it. Realistically, I don't see it happening as soon as people uh, would like. Over the next year, what I would really like to see is uh, organizations like the NCIA really take the lead on you know, starting to standardize what each of these states are doing on an individual basis in preparation for federal legalization. Um, because when that happens, that's going to be an effort that is going to be undertaken anyways. And there's nothing wrong with getting ahead of the curve, especially understanding some of the challenges that exist now.
Um, social equity is being defined many different ways across an array of states. Um, there are states that are doing some things well and other things poorly and vice versa. And so really, you know, through a collaborative effort, starting to understand what should be pulled from various states and start to kind of standardize that process, I think is going to be key. Um, cause there's so much information floating around and it, it just depends on what state you're talking about. So I, I think that would be key over the next year. And I think that will also start to lead to more social equity, uh, applicants receiving licenses. Um, just because the process will be more streamlined. If people want to get more information about what you're doing, Winston, is there a website or someplace they can go to get it? Um, they can send me an email, uh, W McCauley, M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y at winterhazellc.com. Um, and any emails I receive, I'll be sure to respond to as soon as possible. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, again, first name is W-I-N-S-T-O-N. Last name is McCauley, M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and it probably shows me as a senior project manager. So, always willing to connect with individuals on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Well, look, my friend, I can't thank you enough for being a part of Let's Be Bond with Montel today and offer you an opportunity if uh, you have got a home here, so whatever, you want to come back and chop it up a little bit about what's going on in the industry, please feel free to do so. And then, you know, let's remind ourselves or remember to connect offline. Absolutely. More about the, those possibilities of white labeling in your area. Sounds good. I really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough for this opportunity and look forward to speaking with you soon. Absolutely, sir. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today, and thank you for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.